0: Hello and welcome to Talking Scared. I'm your host, Neil McRobert, and this week we're blowing up your TBR list that's to be read list for the less online amongst you. My guest is Sadie Hartman, aka Mother Horror. She's one of the most influential horror reviewers in the world, the editor in chief of Dark Heart Books and the co owner of the Nightworms horror subscription service. In short, she knows her haunted onions. And she's written a book to usher us all into a world of expanded horror horizons. 101 Horror Books to Read Before You're Murdered is a guide to... well, the stuff you should read before a man in a mass finally catches up to you. It does what it says on the cover, but with style, panache, and a lovely bit of graphic design. And if you join Talking Scared following last week's Stephen King episode this one is perfectly timed to show you that there is a whole other world of darkness waiting. Sadie and I talk about her selection process, her blogging origin story, the gatekeeper problem in horror, our shared fear of certain kinds of books, and the joy of scary stories featuring kids on bikes. We could have talked horror for hours and... In fact, we did, and if you do want to hear more, Sadie stuck around for a special Patreon episode to recommend the books that she thinks you must read from 2023 so far. If you want to hear that, plus a whole ton of other bonus episodes, and support the show all at the same time, just sign up to patreon.com slash talking and know that I love you for doing so. And if you want to get in touch with the show then the email address is Talkingscaredpod at gmail.com or I'm on all the socials at TalkScaredPod. Get in touch. But now, off we go to a family home in Washington State. Inside, there's a perfectly normal family with a loving mother who just happens to have some very particular obsessions. Let's talk scared. (laughs) Hi, Sadie. Welcome back to Talking Scared. How are things?
1: Things are well. Thank you. Thank you for having me here.
0: Always a pleasure to have you. Uh, You say things are going well. I'm I'm, I'm guessing things are quite frantic because we're a week out from when the book hits stores in America. How are you feeling?
1: Yes, things are a bit frantic. That's a good word. Although (laughs) I do have an amazing team at Page Street Publishing. So shout out to my Page Street team, the publicity part of it, my editor, Alexandra, like they have been walking me through this process and helping me and like accepting all of my frantic emails and helping me navigate my first uh, book release. Yeah.
0: We were saying this off air, you and I, but because you are mother horror and you are you know, one of the major facilitators of, of horror fiction online. Uh, a lot of people will kind of unthinkingly just assume you know the drill from the other side in terms of actually releasing your own book, but this is uncharted territory for you.
1: Yeah, completely uncharted territory. Um I obviously like I said before, I've seen people go through this process. I've seen authors have a debut book. I've seen all the excitement. I've shared in their excitement. I've helped, you know, promote books. I've been on the other side in terms of being behind the scenes. But for my own personal book, I this is completely brand new. And the feelings are brand new. And it's a, a total mixed bag of feelings. And I wasn't prepared for some of the feelings, <laughs>
0: generally positive or are you now looking at the book thinking "Oh, I wish I could have done that differently I wish I could have done that differently
1: I mean I probably will in hindsight like after everything and the dust has settled and and things um you know kind of have been moving along and I get some time to reflect I'll probably come up with some things Mm -hmm. but I mean just like right now in this moment in time everything just moves so slowly at first and then hyper speed towards the end. Like it it just I felt like it was never gonna come. And then now that it's here, I'm like, wait, 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 I'm not ready.
0: <laughs> I mean, no, the reason I ask about that kind of reflection is is a lot of this book is about what you've picked because the book is called 101 books to read before you're murdered which is a fairly ominous title for people like me because i've read (laughs) well over half of these books so that title is quite worrying (laughs) 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 but but yeah i suppose as i i think if i did this i'd be constantly just looking and thinking oh are they the 101 books i would have picked i think there'd be endless scope for doubt and reconsideration
1: well i think what kind of saved me is thinking about it in the perspective is this is not um like A list of books that define the genre Mm -hmm. in terms of these are the best books. These are the 101 best books of horror of all time. This is a fangirl. This is a reader. This is someone who loves horror. And these are the books that she thinks that you should read before you're murdered. Like there are so many books out there. Love all the books, read all the books, enjoy all the books, but just make sure you read like these 101, according to this person who feels like your friend and wants to tell you what she has enjoyed, if I saw it as like a definitive list, list of horror, I probably would be freaking out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, you know, would you like to introduce the book? But that, that's a pretty good kind of summary already. Before we dive into it, is there anything else you want to say about this, about the structure, about, you know, what it is as an artifact?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's important to know going into it that it's a modern list of horror. So as somebody who has navigated the genre for quite some time, obviously I've Googled lists of horror and there are tons and tons and tons and tons. You've written a bunch of articles oh. of definitive lists, um, like 50 best horror novels, 100 best horror novels of all time. like, And I think that of all time, phrase is really important because when I was thinking about this book, I did not want to make a list of all time because I feel like the farther back you go in the annals of history, the more books you have to choose that are really old, like Frankenstein and Dracula and things that people pretty much know about. And I didn't want those definitive books to squeeze out modern horror that's coming out right now.
0: And it starts at so. Is it does it does it begin in the year two thousand? Is that the limit you set yourself?
1: Yeah, I did kind of set a limit. Uh, There are a few that go a little further back, but Mm -hmm. I think there's only one or two. Um, And that was because it was just confusing to figure out with some of the reprints and some of the like closed publishers who you know maybe a, a a publisher closed and somebody else picked it up. And so while it was published in this year, it actually went on the wide market in 2000. So um, there are a few that that are questionable, but for the most part, it's from 2000 to 2023. Yeah, and also I was very mindful of the reader for this book in terms of the books have so much more going on under the surface and can kind of tap multiple subgenres. So when I was categorizing them, I made sure to have this whole other system of categorization so that people can find books through multiple facets of that book if that makes sense so there's like little icons that can tell the reader oh even though I categorize this under haunted house it also has these like seven elements
0: yeah because one of the things that I imagine you struggle with initially because I was thinking about how, how I would approach this is you've got these tranches of you know slashers or supernatural or you know whatever but often there are books that sit in num- a number of different camps and I was thinking that would really stress me out like which camp to put it in so <laughs> that that little key you've got and that that kind of glossary of terms it, it, it is quite useful for people who, who will come to these books completely for the first time I think.
1: Yes because you know, they do, they do cross over into multiple genres. Like, you know, Stephen Graham Jones writes a lot of slashers, but hidden within those slashers are kind of elements of girl power or small town horror or, you know, something else that would potentially grab a reader's attention. So they might think, well, I don't really want to read a slasher novel, but if they see that the main protagonist is sort of this, icon this final girl icon that's relatable that they could really fall in love with they might be more inclined to read it if they knew that there was more than just you know a, a slasher a standard slasher
0: yeah like go back to the thing you said about you know the dates that you picked and the the contemporary stuff that is really refreshing because like you, you mentioned the list that I wrote like I, I wrote um a thing for Esquire a while, a while back that I called the you know the greatest horror novels of all time, and I got so much sort of like, like critical comments about mm-hmm. recency bias, and I was kind mm-hmm. of like saying like, yes, but realistically, is do you want me to tell you about why Dracula is good again? You know, I mean, Dracula was in <laughs> yeah. the list, but there are yeah. there were you know two hundred books from back then I could have talked about. It's like, but what's what's of greater service to a contemporary reader being told about Melmoth the Wanderer? or being told about Stephen Graham Jones. I know which I'd rather know about as someone who's trying to read for fun rather than academic pursuits. So it is refreshing to read something that is unashamedly contemporary and about where the genre is now.
1: Yes. And to be perfectly honest with everyone, I when I first started reading horror, I had a very limited scope. I was really just pulling titles from my mom's bookshelf. And she read a lot of Stephen King and Peter Straub and Anne Rice. But, you know, in terms of whatever um, indie fiction was going on at that time, or even later, I didn't really stumble upon the wellspring that horror has to offer until like 2017. Mm. So my knowledge base is limited as well. Like, I don't, I, I didn't, I haven't even read any HP Lovecraft. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't, it's not like I care, but you know, for people who are immersed in this genre and have been for 30, 40, 50 years, they're going to look at someone like me and perhaps think like, well, she doesn't really know what she's talking about because she hasn't read any Ligotti or uh, Lovecraft or this person or that person. And it's like, that's fine. I mean, I'm not trying to claim that I'm an expert in horror. That's not the book that I set out to write. I set out to write a book about this modern age of horror and just everything that's coming out right now, like in this golden age that we're experiencing um, with my kind of context and my knowledge base. So just to be fair.
0: Well, and I think what's very interesting from a selfish point of view from, for me is that I feel like our knowledge bases are actually quite complimentary because I, obviously I come from a, a sort of, you know, an academic background where I had to read all that stuff, didn't necessarily enjoy mm-hmm. it, you know, but I have read all the 17th century Gothic stuff and, and hated it, <laughs> but I, I came to what I'm doing now. I mean, I started this in 2020. I had absolutely no idea about the vast majority of authors that you mentioned in this book. That I have since interviewed, that I've since read, you know. Um, so my my knowledge sort of stops around the 2000s, where yours starts, and I'm now playing catch up with all the stuff that you know. So I'm I'm looking through this book, and there are some books by you know Aaron Drees and and by Keelan Patrick Burke and by Michael Weehun and one short story collection by. Um, Damien Angelica Waters, Walters, which sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. They're names that are really recent to me. Right. So it's really useful for, for me. And I think they're useful for a lot of readers, whatever their kind of entry point is, you know, because there's so much horror. We can't all know about all of it.
1: Oh, I love that you said that because I really just want all of us to just understand that together we're in this genre with all of our preferences and all of our biases and our knowledge base and we're all just enjoying this this genre together and it's so wide and so vast that we will never in our lifetime i mean i know it's scary to think about but we will never in our lifetime maybe even read the books that are in our own houses mm-hmm. let alone everything that's out in the world so when I thought about this title, 101 Horror Books to Read Before You're Murdered, that's really like the fear of every book nerd. It's like, I cannot humanly possibly read all of these books that are available to me right now. And so it's so fun to talk to people who have read this book or that book. And, and then together, we just sort of create these massive lists of books that we want to read and enjoy um, because other people experience them and the way that they talk about them makes us excited. Um, So I'm really glad that, that you said that about, um, you know, you couldn't possibly like we, it's so limited. So when people are reading a list like this, I just want them to know that if you don't see your favorite book in there, it's probably because I own it and it's on my bookshelf. I just haven't had time to read it. Like there's no way I could read everything, you know?
0: Yeah, and that doesn't invalidate your opinion, because I think one of the things that's a real problem with lists, and I say, like I've written my first share, is that people don't seem to buy in to the implicit acknowledgement that this is an, an opinion, you know? Right. Like, when I write for people, I always use the, the collective we, you know, because it's, it's kind of the etiquette in those things, but it's my opinion, and sh- I always think, like, surely people know this, but at the same time... <laughs> People get very upset that their favorite book isn't yeah. at number one. And I'm like, it's just me. I'm just a guy who likes books. I like these books in this order. Like, chill out, you know? Um <laughs> the, the, the dark flip side of that, and it's something you mention a lot in this book, is the phenomenon of gatekeepers. Right. For for those who are not terminally online, like you and I, can you elaborate on what you mean by the term? Because people may not know. What, what do you mean by gatekeepers in, in particular? in how you've had to deal with them or encountered them in horror
1: yeah for sure um so just to give you a little background about myself um i started a dedicated bookstagram account on instagram so bookstagram is a hashtag it is to alert other people who are reading books um that you have a dedicated account just primarily talking about books and i started that several years ago and met people all over the globe who are collecting books and love to read and review it and talk about it and you know we we make weird little contests for ourselves and challenges and and there's just, it's it goes on and on. It's, it's an, a massive amount of people on Instagram just talking about books. And when I first started, I was kind of just posting everything, um, talking about all the books that I was reading, fantasy, horror, children's books I used to enjoy. Like it was really just a lot. And then over the course of time, it's my focus started getting more and more leaning toward strictly horror and. Um, you know, just a bypass, like several years, like I could go on and on about the evolution of Bookstagram. Um, But at some point, it became really clear to the publishers that we were, as we were talking about books, influencing and enabling each other to buy a lot of books. Um, And they started taking notice of us. Bookstagram is really my roots. Um, And even within that community, there are the gatekeepers. So if for instance, you made a list of books that you've enjoyed over the year, or, you know, here are the books I think that you should read if you, you know, want to keep up on what was going on in 2019, let's just say, and someone would come on to your comments and and suggest that perhaps you didn't know what you were talking about because of X, Y, and Z. And that's what we mean about gatekeeping. Like if you say, oh, I really loved uh, Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, it was so good. It had this kind of element. It had this cosmic. And then they would ask, well did you have you read HP Lovecraft? Did you read the story <laughs> that it was, you know, inspired by? No, I actually I haven't. Oh, well then you don't really know what you're talking about. And so it's kind of this invalidating process that people go through where somebody who perhaps knows a lot about horror smacks down on somebody who they think doesn't know a lot about horror. So you're now not able to talk about it in an authoritative way. And that's really what gatekeeping is. It's like taking away a horror card that doesn't even exist.
0: I don't think I've ever encountered that behavior towards myself, which leads me to believe, and from other things I've seen as well, that this is also a very gendered issue.
1: Mm -hmm. And an age thing.
0: An age thing. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Right. Because I I, I do see a lot of women online where they will post something and immediately 20 guys chip in with why they are wrong (laughs) in very, very... (laughs) You know, it's often couched in very respectful terms, but, you know, the the, the mansplaining is still there. And I'm not being some, I'm not being some like uber progressive, aren't I Pure than pure? You know, I'm sure I've done my share of it inadvertently in my time. Um, But yeah, it, it does seem to be a thing that plagues women more than men online.
1: Yeah, I, I, so when I started reviewing for major platforms, I had the editor of Scream Magazine reach out to me and also the editor of Cemetery Dance Online reach out to me within the same like couple of months of each other and ask if I wanted to start reviewing horror for their platforms um, because they were looking for more of like a female perspective in order to appeal to their fan base, which statistically women are the main readers and the buyers of books like if you didn't know like if you know if you look it up and find out who's reading it's primarily women um and so they were asking you know would you want to review books for us and I did and as I started kind of getting more visibility online the men who had been doing it for a much longer time than me did not like that I had quote unquote waltzed into the room and sucked all the air out of it. Um, So I was getting, you know, retweeted by authors and followed by authors who are, you know, of a certain fame or had, you know, big platforms. And so my platform was growing as a result. And I, (laughs) I caught all kinds of hell and it was really difficult. Um, And I don't really want to get into a lot of Mm -hmm. it, but um, the reviewing scene is interesting for women. I'll just say that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into it either because I, I know it isn't, I've got nothing to add to that that's useful. It's just, it's a bit ick, you know, that's all I'll say in understanding yeah. of the century. Um, yeah. But let's, you know, all right, let's stay positive in the most horrible yes. way. Let, let's let's dive into this collection. So I actually opened it up to my patrons if people, I said, you know, if you put a, give me a question, I'll ask the first one that someone sends in. And, and thankfully, the question I got is a very, very good one, and it's from my patron who's called Robert. And He has asked, and it's something I was going to ask you myself as well. Um, you know, when you were putting this together and you were coming up with this list of books, did you make a distinction between the books that you just love and the books that? might be, you know, quote-unquote better, but which you don't like as much?
1: So the short answer is no. Um, I did pick books that I love, and I did not pick books that I wasn't in love with because I thought it needed something or it needed to be on this list. Um, What I basically did is I went through my Goodreads, Um, because I am an avid Goodreads user and I document every single book that I read. Um, and I culled the list basically from starting in 2017 or whatever, when I started doing book challenges and really being faithful to the recording of everything that I read and just started making like a giant list with no limitations, but just everything that I loved. Um, and that included a lot of books that I had given, obviously, five and four stars to. But then late in later years, I, I stopped using star ratings because I felt like they were very um, limiting to me. So I was just picking books in the, you know, 2000s, like the later 2000s, 2020, 21 and 2 and 2023. Um, and just picking books based on my passion for them. Um, and then... I realized that I needed to go back and read some of the books that had been recommended to me and told to me that like these are really great books and I just haven't gotten around to reading them. And so I read them. So a lot of um, the process before I even started writing was making sure that I was reading some of these books that other people told me were really good and I just haven't read them yet. So that was really fun as well. But no, there's nothing on the list that I'm not in love with, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does make no it makes perfect sense because when I when I've done lists, I've always felt a real pressure to represent different sort of quotas of, you know, like this kind of horror and that kind of horror and make sure this is there, make sure that is there. And they're probably in, in reality not an actual representation of my true loves. Um they're probably mm. more of a distant intellectual exercise rather than a, the books of my heart, as people say so yeah it's uh yeah it's nice it's not nice. like just to know that you actually fully endorse all of these books for the right reason it's it's a nice thing um even if they are terrifying which brings me to my first discussion of theme because the way you laid out this book is quite cool you've got these major categories like you know supernatural paranormal human monsters what you call the horror of natural order which i thought was a nice governing phrase and then, within that, you've got these subsections on things like creepy kids and haunted houses and slashers and my absolute least favorite, demonic possession,
1: um,
0: which <laughs> Why terrifies is your me.
1: Least favorite, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, I'm
0: just I'm so scared. but I can't handle it at yeah. all. And and yeah. I'm glad to see that it scares you nearly yeah. as much as me. And I, I say nearly <laughs> because you've actually managed to read these books that I haven't. Um, But let's start there with a shared feel. Why do you find that particular theme, like the number one scary theme?
1: Well, for me, it's kind of about like personal agency, like everything that comes at you supernaturally or paranormally in terms of tangible, external, forces that you can fight while still being in your own body um is one thing but for this entity to then invade your body and take over your personal agency kind of rendering you power powerless uh is terrifying mm. um and and that happening to like a loved one too is really scary so like if you read exorcist or um Paul Tremblay's book a headful of ghosts I just the thought of having a child going through something like that and not really knowing how to combat that especially like if you don't have a religious background um like what are your other options um yeah that's all very scary to navigate because it's so unknown it's it's so violating and like ultimately what what would be the outcome if you weren't able to get this demon out of this person's body like it's very it's super scary
0: couldn't agree more but what interests me there is you talk about agency and something taking over your body i'm terrified of like books about demons but i'm not scared in the same way by books about you know alien parasites for example mm. you know king's dream catcher where, where it comes in and and you know bob gray takes over the not no, Mister Grey takes over the mind of one of the characters, or or Jeremy Robert Johnson's The Loop, where this thing attaches itself, and right. and they don't scare me the same way, but it's kind of doing the same thing. But do you make the same distinction between them?
1: Yeah, definitely, because I, I mean, I don't make it a big secret that like zombie horror is not my favorite, and that's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. Like a, a zombie is. A, a person who's kind of been reanimated and is operating outside of their own personal agency, like their body is still alive, but their their brain or or their soul is maybe left, um, and that's not the same thing as demon possession. So I really just feel like maybe the demonic element um, kind of stems from the way that we perceive like religion and faith, um, because really when you're reading those books, those are the only things to counteract that situation there's a few exceptions to that rule uh uh, some demon possessions that maybe combat the the evil entity in another way um but for the most part it has to do with like do you have enough faith or does the person who is exercising this demon have enough faith and if they don't like what is the outcome what's going to happen i don't watch demon possession movies ever ever never. In fact, hmm. I didn't know that hereditary was possibly like, you know, kind of going to go that way and toward the end of that movie I was beside myself with fear. Like I felt duped into seeing that movie. So I I I cannot handle watching that or like you know, you're you're levitating off the bed and your whole body is uh, like breaking bones and just it's it's just I, it's beyond <laughs> it's just beyond and like what do you do how can you fight
0: i've got so many things to ask you now that i, I don't want to lose because you said like three things i want to pick up on so i want to <laughs> do them all right so we'll come okay. back to mo- movies in a second and because and i had a similar thing with hereditary um but first of all in in the book in, in the intro to that section about demonic possession you write this sentence you write you don't need to believe to be frightened yeah um and that really spoke to me because i am always like trying to excavate my own personal terror of this stuff because i i don't believe in it i always even caveat my f- admission of fear with i don't even believe in this stuff but yeah. but i wonder is it true you know must there not be some troublesome little kernel of us that maybe deep down does believe
1: right right because uh i do come from a religious background not as a child my parents were um you know agnostic so i wasn't raised with any kind of faith um but then later when i met my husband we did start going to church and there was a season of time where Know I was very convinced, and now I am sort of deconstructing um, based on just some personal journeys that Mm -hmm. happened during like 2020. Um, I'm deconstructing like what I believe. So with all of that, it's very personal, and it's like for each individual person to go through um, a sort of a spiritual journey, and then to encounter in that horror. Entities that, like I said, you don't have to believe in. Like, we don't have to believe in angels and demons in order to be terrified of the idea that what if you encountered it? Mm. I mean, oftentimes, like Sarah Grand's book, Come Closer, oftentimes there's no admission of this existing. It's just sort of happening. Does that make sense? Like,
0: Completely. And she
1: doesn't have to say, like, I believe in this. Yeah potential for demonic possession it's just happening
0: sarah grand's come closer is one of the only books i've ever had to put down and not finish reading mm,
1: because mm, it yeah i think
0: i've said this on the show before because you just talked about your journey with this stuff again i'm not gonna get too deeply into it because people have heard it ad infinitum but my thing is my terror is to do with mental health and my terror with with the idea of demonic possession is the idea that you don't have to be possessed. All that has to happen is you have to become convinced you are.
1: Oh, uh, you know? yeah.
0: And mm-hmm. Sarah Grand's Come Closer kind of flirts with the intersection of mental health and possession in an incredibly yep. effective way that I, I, frank, I couldn't handle it at all. Um, and I had to just step away from the book. I've never, and I've never gone back to it. And there's very, very few books that have done that to me. Plenty of movies, but very few books. Um, so when I saw it, I remember re- seeing it listed in your list and I got like a little drip of adrenaline, just the, just the, the cover, you know, that thing, that Pavlovian response of, oh shit, this yeah. thing again.
1: Yeah, that's wild. I love that, Neil. I mean, th- I felt that way and I feel that way about like hereditary had that kind of impact on me. And for me, I've been a mother almost my whole like adult life. Um, I had our first child when i was 20 so we've been raising kids for a really long time and so i read everything from the perspective of a mother and the movie hereditary from a mother's perspective like fucked me up hmm. and also a head full of ghost same thing like i would i was reading it and i was thinking about my daughter and like some of the symptoms that The girl is going through in that book, I was applying to her and I was getting out of bed and going and looking at her, like just thinking about like, what would I do if all of a sudden like something, and you wouldn't know, is it a demon or is it mental health or is it she's suffering through something like just, just the idea of what Paul Tremblay was talking about in that book was terrifying me to have to go through as a mother. Same with the exorcist, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, indeed. I mean- Tremblay's headful of ghosts I think it's a masterpiece but it, it does freak me out um yeah and and hereditary like I I don't find it scary at all but I think it's <laughs> I'm not a parent and it's just it's just a world away from my life I just if I'm honest I found it quite amusing on the whole but <laughs> yeah you, my kid did too well you but I'm i I'm a scaredy cat so I was surprised I found it amusing but you were talking about being ambushed by it. You know, the, the, the scene with uh, Alex Wolf when he's in the, in the in, sat in his, at his school desk and he looks in the mirror. Yeah,
1: that's I remember the in scene. that part
0: being like, oh shit, this is a possession movie and I'm not prepared for it. And I'm now stuck in this auditorium yes. and I'm scared all of a sudden. In fact, I mean, it passed because it becomes quite, it becomes a bit grand guignol after that. And I, I kind of, that made me weirdly feel better that it was less subtle. But yeah, I remember thinking like, I remember the, like my hair sounded end of me being like, "Oh no, I'm trapped in a possession movie. and I don't want to be here,
1: yes, exactly. I had the same kind of reaction at that that particular moment as well. I imprinted on that particular character so hard as a mother with my own sons. I have three children, um and I have two sons, and he just embodied a lot of mm. the anxieties and the personalities that I see in my own children, and I read horror from the perspective of a mother that everything like that uh, people calling me mother horror, Like it, it just makes so much sense to my identity and how I read and how I approach horror is why Stephen King is one of my favorite authors. Like he does a lot of perspectives from children's, per, you know, personas looking at the world. Um, like he taught me how to fall in love with kids going through trauma and e- fighting evil it's it's the way I read everything. Um, so, I mean, just just as a little background and insight into this list, um, coming of age is definitely a very important part of horror for me.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, that is one thing that we I think we have quite similar taste generally looking at this list with a, with a few exceptions that are quite striking exceptions that we'll get to. I think we have quite similar tastes. and coming of horror, uh, coming, sorry, coming of horror, coming of age is kind of where it it comes together. Um, And I was really intrigued to see that there are books in the coming of age section I haven't read. I always say that the Holy Trinity is King's It, McCammon's Boy's Life and Dan Simmons' Summer of Night. Though That one may need a revisit, but they are quite old books now. And do you think the coming of age canon needs to be refreshed, perhaps, maybe with some more female centric stories?
1: Yeah, in fact, there's a book I'm going to recommend later that I just read by uh, Katrina Ward that has coming of age elements. um, And it's horror. And I think that there's a lot of people doing that from from that lens. Um, You know, also like, Ronald Malfi has a lot of coming of age. Um, And I, I do think like the it needs to be refreshed, but also like, built on that framework because actually even before that like Lord of the Flies I think was the first time I fell in love with a child's POV Mm. experiencing trauma apart from adults um and so like Lord of the Flies was really definitive for me
0: and people who say Lord of the Flies isn't horror like all I'll say is it famously made Stephen King vomit after he finished reading it so I think that's that's enough for me (laughs) it's definitely horror (laughs)
1: <laughs> there was like a Philip Frikazi um uh, book, The The Boys in the Valley, that Stephen King like retweeted Mm. and said that he wanted to read it. Um, And in that tweet, I compared boys in the Valley to like Steve, a Stephen King ish also mashed with Lord of the flies. You know, it's all this like horror and somebody did also, and it was a man obviously um, told me, well, since when is Lord of the flies horror, you know? And, and I mean, he eventually had to shut up because everybody was, defining it for him but i mean if you don't think lord of the flies is horror like i would just ask you like what's not terrifying about children being stranded on an island you know going through all of this like personal trauma of being isolated and starving and having to fend for themselves but also like against each other like that's basically the premise for nick cutter's book the troop like we find lord of the flies in every single horror book that is coming of age essentially really well
0: Another book that I think is very—I um, don't think it's in your book actually, because again, it's—I it, suppose it's tangentially horror. But have you ever read a book called *The Lost Girls of Camp Forevermore*? No. Like, oh, it's a book by—it's Kim Kim Fu, I think. Um, okay. And and it—that's kind of it, it's it's the horror of. Of survival, it's about some kids who get lost. It's kind of like if you took Lord of the Flies and Picnic at Hanging Rock and you know Yellow Jackets, the TV show, and yeah. very much the structure of Yellow Jackets, the TV show, and 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 wrote a coming of age kind of survival thriller about it. And when I read it, I was like, it's, it's like it's it's horrifying. It's kind of like reading a teenage donor Party. It's really, it's really, and it's quite it's quite a charming book. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's. You know, it's just, it's. I, I do recommend that book. I won't get these, but your recommendation's not mine. But for those who are interested, The Lost Girls of Camp Forevermore by Kim Fu is great. Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: I'm adding it to my list.
0: Yeah. But what is it about Kids on Bikes that appeals to you so strongly?
1: Hmm. I mean, the nostalgia of like going back and visiting how you felt when you were a child and how big the world is You experience things as a child differently than you do as an adult. You have to remember like when you're a child, you don't really have a lot of responsibilities and you're just kind of like learning who you are as a person. And so for those people, these like vulnerable people in the world who depend so much on the adults in their lives to provide for them, to then put them in situations where they are not only having to fight a cosmic demonic evil entity, but they also have to fight their own personal demons and everything that's going on inside their bodies, like hormonally, mentally, physically. And then a third challenge of also having to take on the adults in their lives who are not there for them. They are not the caretakers they need. There's nothing more horrifying than that it's overwhelming. And so you get to experience what a lot of people have gone through. If you had like a happy childhood, like I had a great childhood, but I can read from the perspective of people who had horrible childhoods and how it affected them later in life. It's just the most immersive experience you can have in horror, in my opinion.
0: I mean, it's the opinion I agree with. I mean, I think most of the horror books that have really, really moved me have had some kind of child protagonist in them um yeah and I think it is that same reason I mean I, I've said it a few times I, I love the fact that there are those two tiers there's the child's eye view of the world and the adults and they are different worlds basically Yeah, for all kinds of purposes yes. and I, I do love that um and one of the books I haven't read and I really do want to read it for to cause it, it seems to kind of offer that thing is Todd Keesling's Devil's Creek Mm. um which I believe is wonderful I haven't I haven't caught up with it yet but I mean I'm it's in your book so I'm assuming you like it a great deal
1: (laughs) I like it a great deal um because there's other uh genres of subgenres of Mm -hmm. horror that are really scary for me and that I I will pretty much read if it has these elements and um one of them is like a cult um I love reading about cults. I think it's really fascinating. Um, And for the most part, it's just because I find it fascinating that seemingly normal people could find themselves in a situation where they're being manipulated enough to do outrageous things um, because of the sake of this cult. Whether it's a charismatic cult leader who is convincing people or whether it's Some sort of societal thing or, you know, even when going back again to the root of Lord of the Flies, the fact that you have like two camps of people Mm. or you have this belief system that's developing that's convincing people to do horrible things to one another is so fascinating. And Devil's Creek really picks up on that as well.
0: Yeah, I don't share that fear about cults. It's, generally speaking, cult books haven't really moved me all that much in the past, with a few exceptions. Um, and I spoke about this on, on on Stephanie's Books in the Freezer podcast a few years back now. Um, and it, the scariest cult book I've ever read is one that you mentioned sort of in passing in your list. And it's Jenny Melamed's Gather the Daughters.
1: Oh, God, yeah.
0: I mean... yeah. Again, it's a book that's, I suppose, horrible rather than generically horror, but it is sickening, right? That book is so horrible.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of books like that. And it's, those are really hard for me to to read, actually. Uh, I don't want to get too spoilery on like a lot of books that are mm-hmm. on the list, but books about women in subjugative roles where there's men kind of overseeing (laughs) the hmm, like thriving aspect of Uh the community, like holds all the cards and the women are just sort of pawns or objects in this religious experience that these men are having. There are so many books like that. And unfortunately, they're not fiction. <laughs> um, living in the United States feels very much like a dystopian society where the men get to make all the decisions about women and women's bodies and our mental health and our health care and pretty much everything. Um, and so it's really terrifying to read books where you can see how that can go off the rails very easily.
0: Yeah, it's funny because everything we talk about today seems to come back to the, I suppose the the the, the macro theme of agency. You know, possession Mm. takes away agency. Religion takes away agency. Cults and you know, your toxic masculinity—I suppose for one of a better phrase—takes away female agency. Do you think that is at the core of your fears when it comes to horror?
1: I think so. I think so. When I really think about it, because even cosmic horror is probably the loss of agency for everyone you know it's just this nihilistic way of looking at the world where it's like you don't matter and you will be violated and you will be harmed and you will be you know insignificant um so yeah a lot of horror does revolve around the fact that you don't matter
0: yeah i had to stop watching the handmaid's tale recently because i just found it too upsetting um, mm. Like watch it was all the stuff with the where the politics it was more the flashbacks of, of watching how Gilead came to be because I was watching it and I was like this is just the news you know there's no right. this isn't even particularly that far fetched anymore and yeah right. I had to, i had to start watching it um, but all this stuff it, it it's quite well going back to Todd's Tick to Keesling's Devil Creek right it's it's quite a good segue into another question because. That book specifically, in your, your kind of one-page summary, you talk about how horrible some of the events in that book are, but you write, quote, at no point in this book did I feel as though I was enduring the depravity needlessly. I made a note of that because you list throughout this summary some pretty depraved books. And I wondered, <laughs> is, is that caveat important that, that the vileness is necessary
1: yeah it is for me um i don't think the violence is necessary in order for it to be considered horror or Mm -hmm. in order for it to be scary i don't think it's necessary but i do think that in order for it to be something that i value the violence has to have like meaning and reason and purpose Otherwise, it feels just very exploitive and just not, uh, it's not fun for me in terms of entertainment. I did go on a really long kick in 2020 where I was reading the most depraved, fucked up shit I could read. Um, And it was really just because I was hurting and I was scared and I was in a lot of pain. Um, You know, our world was essentially falling apart and there was a lot of unknowns and reading depraved, fucked up shit. just really kind of helped me to feel like there was something worse than what we were experiencing. And now I don't read it at all. I, I really just don't, I don't feel like I need to or want to anymore, but it did serve its purpose for me for a time. So I, yeah. I love extreme horror that it's there um, and it doesn't have to serve a purpose. It could just be violence for violence sake and that's fine. And it has its audience and it has its time. I definitely found it comforting um for a season. And I, you know, people love it and not and and they should not be, you know, shamed or it shouldn't be relegated to a back burner because it is, you know, it is what it is. Um, But for me, I've I've I do find that some books, like, you know, the um The Girl Next Door by Jack Ketchum almost feel um, shameful. And I feel sort of complicit. Um, I feel culpable when I'm reading those books where it's like, why am I being entertained by what's happening? This is mm. based on a true story. It's super gross. It it makes me feel really dirty. Um, and so I just, I didn't finish it. And I do that a lot. If it's just feeling exploitive and like, I shouldn't be being like, I shouldn't be entertained by what's happening. I'll just tap out because that just, that's not, um, cathartic for me. And typically horror is very cathartic for me.
0: Yeah. That is a grim book. I mean, it's years since I've read that, but most of Jack Ketchum stuff makes me feel a certain way that I don't necessarily enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Getting rid of books that you haven't finished. What's the most I don't know, disturbing or upsetting book you've ever read and enjoyed, Sadie?
1: Well, there's a book by Chandler Morrison called Along the Path of Torment, and it is vile. It is a (laughs) vile, disgusting, disturbing, offensive, like, I wrote a review for it where it was just like, this is a book I can't recommend to anybody. I would never tell anybody to read it. I felt almost like ashamed that I enjoyed it so much. It has so much, <laughs> it has so much in it that's just like inappropriate and horrible and just, yeah. But Chandler Morrison's writing is very capable and he kind of led me through that book with a story that mattered and people that mattered. And at the end of it, I kind of was just thinking to myself, like, a lot of people go through sickening, horrible events and situations in their lives. And there's nothing stranger than reality. Like, there's no fiction that can be told that if it was someone's true story, we would be like, that's vile and I'm not going to read it. But it's like their true story. So I sort of felt like sometimes we should endure in order for those kinds of stories to be told because there are people out in the world that experience those kinds of things in reality
0: well that's a book i've never heard of um and i can't say i'm necessarily going to read it but i know there will be a certain element of my leadership who are now very excited to try it out
1: <laughs> good luck
0: yeah you do that guys get back to me i think i won't <laughs> risk that one um but yeah thanks for the, the heads up say <laughs> um you're welcome you make A couple of quite definitive statements in this book. I mean, you said at the start that this is not a definitive list, but it's certainly definitive in terms of your opinion. One of the things you say that I was just like, ring a bell, I categorically agree, is this quote. (laughs) Adam Neville writes the scariest contemporary horror fiction, (laughs) period. Uh, And I was like, yep. I, this is me again, I'm not quoting you. I personally think that Last Day's, may on balance, the scariest book that I've ever read and enjoyed. Mm. Mm. Um, what is it about Adam Neville that speaks to you so strongly?
1: Adam Neville has such a cinematic way of talking to me, like telling me a story. And yes, he's telling all of us a story, and we all like approach horror individually. But when he's ta- telling me a story specifically through his books, It is in a way that I see it so cinematically and so clearly that I do have jump scares. Mm -hmm. I do experience what I would experience if I was sitting in a dark movie theater reading this book, but watching it as a movie. Um, And there are visuals in some of these books. There's a visual in the reddening that I can conjure up immediately and it goes right into the forefront of my mind and I can see it and it terrifies me like right now. And then well there's actually three parts in The Cunning Folk um that terrified me completely where I put the book back on my nightstand and I was like, yeah, I'm not reading that <laughs> anymore tonight. Um that's too much for me. Um Stephen King does that to me occasionally as well and I'll I'll like tweet at him sometimes and be like, yeah, yeah guess what? I'm never gonna forgive you for this particular (laughs) scene like that was terrible um and it's i think it really is just those visuals that they can put in your mind that will never leave there are things that adam neville has told me in a story that will never leave my brain like that's pretty that's that's a feat
0: yeah yeah i I haven't read the reddening um I, i i do have it but i've never got around to reading it yet But the one that does it for me, I mean, Last Days, I think, is his masterpiece, like scares the shit out of me. But Apartment 13, there are images in that one um, to do with sort of visitations in the night that, again, I I can, just like you said, I I can conjure them like it was a movie I watched yesterday. And that is a rare power, right? Because, I mean, I read so many books. You read so many books. I can't remember the the character names of books I read like three weeks ago, you know, because it's just like they're whizzing through my brain, but I can still see certain elements I I read by Adam Neville 15 years ago like it's like a strange alchemy
1: it's so powerful it's so powerful that they can do that with words it's it's almost like a certain kind of magic like there are certain books that I can still to this day when I see the cover or I think about the book I know exactly where I was when I was reading it Mm. I I save a lot of books for uh beach vacations because my husband and I take our kids on a beach vacation um, every year. We go rent a house and go stay there. And I'll bring with me books that I feel like I'm going to have like, the best time with.
0: I do exactly the same thing.
1: <laughs> do you do that too? Yeah. I love that. Like I'm saving um, S.A. Cosby's All the Sinners Bleed for, for our beach house trip. And all of those books that I save, I, I can remember where I am and where I was sitting yeah. in those houses when I was reading them. It's so powerful.
0: I have that with Lonesome Dove. I read Lonesome Dove on a, a very elaborate um, flamboyant holiday to Costa Rica, and I sat on a beach reading it. And it's like a thousand pages, and I read it in—I read it in three days. And it's one of the, the, the most lovely memories of my life, just sitting on that beach reading that, completely ignoring my girlfriend, who deserved better, frankly. Um, but I was—I was lost in the American West, and, and yeah. But actually, that's. <clears throat> There's a question because I tend to save up books at the minute that aren't horror. So when I go away, I'm going away to Greece in in like a month, and I want to take three big books that are not horror novels because I I need a break. Do you not need a break from horror?
1: Hmm. No, no, I don't need a break. I um I used to I used to feel like I needed a break and I would do that, but that season of time where I felt like I I needed to get away from horror became shorter and shorter until the point where I was just, there's so much that horror has to offer that can feel different and I can recognize those books now. Whereas before it was just sort of like, Oh, this, this horror book feels different. This Mm -hmm. horror book isn't, you know, terrifying. And I can recognize those books for myself now. So like I was signing books uh, the other day and I knew it was going to be like a five or six hour long exercise. And I was like, I want to listen to an audiobook, you know, during this time. So I picked um, uh, A House of with Good Bones by T. King Fisher. And I knew that this was going to be a certain kind of book. I knew it was going to be a gothic horror with a family saga. And I knew it was going to be funny um, because, That's kind of how Mm -hmm. her female protagonists are They're They have like such a bubbly, like light personality most oftentimes. So it was the perfect experience. It was exactly what I wanted. And it it's not terrifying in the same way that other books are terrifying. You know, it was it was entertaining. It was fun. I was laughing. Um, The narrator did an excellent job. And I'm really good at understanding the genre at this point where I can be like, oh, I, I kind of am in the mood for, you know, this kind of a book or that kind of a book. And I I know how to find them.
0: I think perhaps I don't have the same comprehensive grasp of, of contemporary fiction as you because I... Quite often, I reckon two thirds of the authors I encounter reading for the show, I'm reading for the first time. So I never feel mm. safe like that. You know, I, I, I'm always <laughs> like, oh, this could devastate me. I have no idea. Yeah, so I, yeah. I do need a break. The things that give me a break are the warm hearted horror. And by that, I'm, I think of people like King and Joe Lansdale and Malamon mm, and yeah. Malfi, you know. And I often feel like yeah. they are like, getting in a warm bath where, yeah, some, some nasty shit might happen, but they're quite rarely <laughs> bleak. Right and I think it's bleakness I need a break from.
1: I, I feel that. I I, I do. I, I got in a little kick where I was reading some pretty bleak stuff. Um, I was reading, you know, like Appalachian, sort of rust belt, gritty, mm-hmm. Southern Gothic stories that are just, yeah, they are bleak. Um, and so when I want that, melancholy vibe. I know how to find it. And then if I want something, you know, thrillery and just kind of a mind bender, I'll go read like a Katrina Ward. Um, and if I want something that just really focuses on me, I need some self-care. I need some like, you know, Barbie feminine, femininity sort of moments like the movie Barbie. I'll I'll go read some Rachel Harrison or, you know, uh, Meg Ellison or something like there's just, there's certain books that I know I can I can gravitate towards.
0: Well, I'm glad you mentioned Meg Ellison because she's somebody I've never read. And if I'm honest, I've ignorantly kind of assumed it wouldn't be my my sort of thing. I think I've sort of just without thought put her stuff in a kind of lighthearted thriller thing that I don't tend to read. Oh, and then you've yeah. talked about one of her books in this thing and I, I'm now going to go and, and hunt some of her stuff down and read it because I'm clearly missing out.
1: Oh good. Yeah, that the, so that book was actually my first time reading one of her books too and so I have since purchased more of her work. Um but I that book was staring at me um while I was reading or you know books for for this book and I loved it. And I thought there's no this fulfills a certain subgenre for people that I feel can grab across the aisle and get those thriller fans. Mm-hmm. So when there are people who obsessively read thriller and they're like, "Oh no, horror is too scary, that's not my vibe." I love to recommend Katrina Ward or Meg Ellison be like, "You really should read, you know, this in the same way that I I have other authors in my back pocket for for reaching across the aisle to like story people who like historical fiction or people, you know, I'll just be like, "Oh, have you read Almakatsu or you know, there's just yeah, there's just authors that kind of fulfill niche um, kind of pet genres that people like where we can grab them for horror.
0: Yeah. Well, I've been very agreeable so far. So just before we finish,
1: <laughs> oh. I to ask you about the
0: one thing where we we don't agree. And I mean, OK, this doesn't need to be said. But I'm not asking you to defend yourself here or or defend your position. I'm just interested, Sadie, in in why you don't like something. So right at the start, in the intro, when you're kind of explaining the the framework for the book, you point out that we won't find Daniel House of Leaves or Linkvist's Let the Right One In in these pages because you just didn't enjoy them. And I just wonder, what was it you didn't like about them? Because they're two books that I adore.
1: Sure. Um, so for House of Leaves, I, and it could have just been the season in which I read it. I'm, I'm not saying that, um, definitively it's a bad book. That's definitely not my position for me personally. I don't, I don't want to work that hard to read a book. And I was feeling like it was homework. I mm-hmm. wasn't looking forward to getting inside of it. I don't want to read all those footnotes. I don't want to turn my books this way and that way to read it. I just was feeling like this is too much effort on my behalf to get engaged. I wasn't investing and I wasn't engaging. The characters weren't speaking to me. So that was just my personal experience I know other people love the book and you know I just wanted to make sure to set early expectations like don't flip through here and look for it because that is a book that is very polarizing I feel like either you love it or you hate it and for me I just it didn't it wouldn't work for me I didn't finish it Um, and a lot of times people will say like well how can you leave a book off a list if you didn't even finish it and it's like well because I don't have to finish books (laughs) to recognize I'm not enjoying it like why would I sit and read massive amounts of books that I'm not enjoying while there's all these bookshelves full of books that I could potentially enjoy and I have a very limited time on this earth you know like I want to read books I, I like um and so the other one let the right one in for me when we talk about coming of age uh, and I'm reading from a mother's perspective that book gave me a gross feeling I there was some kind of pedophilia elements to that book that and some sexuality with young children that just felt too inappropriate for me
0: both perfectly valid arguments I can't I can't I can't and won't argue with you I am yeah my thing with House of Leaves is I love the book but quite often I don't like people who love it (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of a weird bro thing there's 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 a lot of obnoxious people i've always called that book like goth infinite jest and it can be yeah it's a bit irritating but i i do love it and yeah you know let the rat right one in completely I'm, I'm not gonna argue about that i the reason i was surprised that you didn't like it is because it's such a a kind of key contemporary coming of age horror novel that's why i yeah. was a bit confused you know yeah um But, you know, it's good good to disagree, Sage. If we agreed on 101 books, it'd be a bit strange.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I love talking about books with people who have nuanced conversations about them. I don't enjoy when people just kind of smack me upside the head with their Mm. opinion. Like, that's not fun. But to have a nuanced conversation with people about the... Practicality of certain things, or just I, you know, I preferred this, and what happened, and why? Why did this fall off for you? Like those kind of conversations are so fun, and that's what we're doing on, you know, Bookstagram and and podcasts, yeah. and you know those those kind of discussions are great. Elements in it that spoke directly and intimately to. St- things inside my heart that made my heart glow. And I know that there are people out there like me. And so when I recommend it, I really try to reach those people who I know have similar experiences or enjoy certain things. Like if I'm sitting on a bus or in a public area or whatever, and I see somebody reading a book that I loved, it's almost like that book is recommending that person to you. You know what I mean? Like that the fact that they're reading that book and seemingly yeah. enjoying it, say, that so that person is a potential friend because there's going to be something that you guys have in common where that book spoke to you in the same way. And that's such a cool bond.
0: Well, here's, here's your chance to make deeper bonds with my listeners because we've talked about it. We've, so, we've talked about so many books today. It seems redundant to ask this, but. Maybe it's even more pertinent. Who knows? Either way, either way, here goes. Like, you can make the bond with my listeners by recommending one book that they should read and telling us why.
1: One book. I get one book. Um, so I knew you were going to do this. So I kind of thought about it. <laughs> I recently just read The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock. And now I am a Donald Ray Pollock yeah. fangirl. Like that book will convince you that that man deserves to be read and read often like whatever he has it it is a book that transcends genre because it has so many different elements in it it does have sort of a serial killer true crime sort of vibe but it also has like a southern gothic um, coming of age I mean you name it it's in here it has um, that like very nuanced things about religion that people gravitate toward. Like if you love reading books about people who have religious trauma in their lives, that this book will speak to you. Um, The father son relationship was very dynamic in this book. Um, There's like a small town horror Mm. vibe. There's a, you know, investigative work done with shoddy, like, horrible investigative work by policemen that have agendas Um, and then as soon as I finished it I watched the movie and the movie nailed it just nailed it Mm. there were certain elements to that book that they didn't capture but I just don't think they had the time but in a two-hour window of time they had to capture the essence of in the devil the devil all the time I thought it was great and so you get two stories for the price of one you get the book and the movie and now i want to read more of his work
0: well i've read one more by him um and it's a collection of stories called "Knock 'em stiff oh yeah it's all one word yeah and that just to show how much i agree with you about donald ray pollock and i agree about both the, the book of the devil all the time and the film i think yeah they are it's a great Adaptation, a really underrated movie in its own right, and a great adaptation. Um, and the spiders, oh my god, the the the, uh, the pasta with the spiders is so creepy.
1: Oh my god, I yeah. hate that I scene so oh. much.
0: um But *Knock'em Stiff* actually contains my favorite opening line to a story of all time. Oh wow! And oh wow, people ask this quite a bit, and I have this answer because *Knock'em Stiff* starts with this line. My father taught me how to hurt a man one August night at the torch driving when I was seven years old. It was the only thing he was ever good at. Oh, and I just that is it's just
1: devastating.
0: Anyone I just say anyone who reads that and doesn't read on just stop yeah. reading books. I mean, what, what, you, you know, I don't get how that doesn't grab you by the, like the viscera and make you want yeah. to read more, if you're into this kind of dark fiction. I mean, if you're not, you, you have a pass. <laughs> but yeah, I think he's brilliant. I'm so glad you've picked that book, Sadie, because no one's ever mentioned Donald Ray Pollock on this show before.
1: Yeah, I so I've been reading a lot of Tiffany McDaniel, and I feel like they are cousins in that sense. Like Her books and the, his books really complement each other. So just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to recommend something that is isn't so emotionally devastating. Um, You know, it, it is bleak. It, it, it doesn't have a lot of hope. Um, It, it hurts. It hurts to read it. There's a lot of times where I I felt a lot of pain um, for the, for the main character, but I mean, it makes me feel things and that's Mm. what, that's what I show up for.
0: I've never heard of Tiffany McDaniel and I'm now just looking at anything she's written because,
1: oh, okay. She has,
0: did she write Betty? She has
1: Betty. Yes.
0: Right. And I know we're going long here, but sod it. I don't, this Betty kind of passed me by because I got off the cover and the title. I didn't realize it was like a dark book, but people love it. Right. I mean, I just don't know anything about it. Would you recommend I read it?
1: I, I highly recommend you read it. I think people are intimidated by the size of it. it. It is a thicker book, but my God, you talk about a family saga that you can just sink your teeth into and just be fucking devastated. Like just my mom couldn't even finish it. She was like, this is so heart wrenching. I can't do it. Plus huh. it had like personal elements for her that just spoke to her that she just like could not relive. Like she just did not want to relive it. So it, it is devastating. It's very heartwarming in parts. It, it is like the whole family saga type of thing where it just goes from like, you know, one age to, a, to another um, generationally. And then she also wrote On the Savage Side, which just came out this year as well, which is equally devastating about some sisters growing up with people who are not watching them and they just okay hard life
0: so this is just an all-throughs pass me by so i'm glad if if nothing else i'm glad we talked because i need to read some of these books yeah that is excellent well thank you so you got two recommendations for the price of one there but
1: thank you you (laughs) i love to do that (laughs)
0: uh right last question i mean you know what's coming and your book already contains myriad answers to this question but what really truly scares you sadie hartman
1: So I thought about this for a long time because obviously there are some of the generic answers that just fit, obviously. I mean, we are are all afraid of, um, you know, the political climate and death and something bad happening to our loved ones and cancer, like all of those things I'm very terrified of. Um, But kind of maybe more specific to me is just open space. Uh, I would say like Space in general, and also open water. um, Those things are really hard for me to think about. Like, I purposefully don't spend any time on open water. I've never gone on a cruise. I kind of want to, but I'm also so terrified that it's crippling to the point where I don't go on boats in the ocean um and also space like i the thought that we're you know the fact that we're talking about like aliens and ufos a lot lately um and thinking about life on other planets that my brain will stare off into the void and think about the vastness of multiple galaxies (laughs) and i feel like i'm going to explode (laughs) it's too scary for me
0: so it's a kind of existential agoraphobia then (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a okay. perfect way of categorizing it
0: well i mean that's valid i mean i don't like open water i love being on the ocean but the, that, that is it th- the salophobia the thing where you can't see the bottom yeah. i have that right. and i will just finish yeah. on that note and it, this is a crow-barring this in and i've got a feeling this may come up in our little patreon extra that we're going to record shortly if not i'm wrong but you love Whale Fall, right? Daniel Krause's Whale yes. Fall.
1: Yes, I love that book.
0: I I just read it this week, and like the fact that you love it and the fact that you're frightened of open water now makes sense. I get why it had such an impact, but oh my god, that book is a it's a genuine masterpiece, right? I, the word gets thrown yes. around, but my god.
1: Yes, it is a real work of of fiction. I mean, apart from genre, apart from however people want to categorize it, it's just a book that needs to be read. Mm. Like I, I really, I grew up on like Jack London reading, you know, those kinds of wilderness uh, horror books, um, but also like survival. And I obviously grew up reading Stephen King. I never read Moby Dick, but I did tell people on Twitter that this is kind of like the Moby Dick, the, the Jaws by Peter Benchley, the kind of Jack London book that, we've always wanted for this generation. Like, I think it's that iconic.
0: Yeah. I mean, for those who don't know, it's about a, a man or a boy who is swallowed alive by a sperm whale and somehow has to survive. And that may sound ridiculous, but it's absolutely not. Um, and it, it moved me to tears at one point mm-hmm. with a certain conversation yeah. between two characters. Actually yeah. moved me to tears. But it, I think it will make me feel strange Next, I go in the ocean.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, not this isn't a spoiler, but there was a part where he was scuba diving before um, being swallowed by the sperm whale. And he sees um, like a giant squid in the yeah. water. And the way that Daniel Krauss ex- described this sort of glowing beast traveling through the water was so visual to me. And really comforting and cathartic and exciting because I'm never going to do this. I am never, <laughs> ever, never going to go scuba diving to look at sea life. It's just something I would never personally do. I don't like the water like that. And so for him to describe it to me in that kind of detail was really magical and I really appreciated it. The whole book is something that moved me to tears too. It's beautiful as well as scary.
0: Yeah. And we, we could talk more, but I don't want to spoil anything. Everyone. Listen, listeners, you've had you've now had three recommendations for the price of one. <laughs> um, but Whalefall is out on, I think, the same day as your book, say to the eighth, so it'll be out already. Yeah, and you know, get them both. Um, Daniel isn't on the show this year because my schedule is all over the place. But I hope to get him on in the future when the paperback comes out or something. And if you hear this, Daniel, you already know what I think because I've been spamming all over Twitter. But everyone, read Whalefall. <laughs> Um, yes. Co-signed. Yes. And also, if you like horror in any way and you admit that, you know, there are things you don't know, because trust me, there are things you don't know, then 101 Horror Book three Before You're Murdered will tell you new things about books you haven't heard of that you should track down. Um, it's a work of absolute love and the love is evident on every page. So thank you for writing it, Sadie, and, and thank you at length for talking scared.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Neil.
0: Okay, sorry. I know. Books aren't cheap, and you already have quite enough to read without me adding another two dozen to your shelf. But come on. This is my job, right? (laughs) It's certainly Sadie's, and she does it well. 101 horror books to read before you're murdered really does contain a trove of titles that you may not even have heard of. I mean, even though I've had a lot of these authors on the show, there are loads more that I've yet to read. Names like Sarah Reed, Damien Angelica Walters, John Bowden, James Newman, loads more. Maybe say this book is my intro to something I don't even yet know that I love. Also, the book is a beautiful artefact... I mean, it's laid out in an interesting way with a graphic key and thoughtful categories and loads of intricate page design. It's the kind of book it's just nice to own. I probably read it the wrong way because I had to cover it all front to back for the show. But it'd be a treat to just have it there and dip in when you fancy something new to read. And actually, a reminder, if you want an immediate capsule of books to read... Oh, Sorry, sign up for Patreon and check out Sadie's bonus chat about her recommendations from this year. That's going live tomorrow, and it has a nice little spread of horror to cover all the bases. But back to this episode. We did mention a lot of books. And for new listeners, it's worth pointing out that I always include a list of all the titles mentioned in the show notes on the podcast app and I'm I'm also busily working away at updating the new website with a full itemised list of every book mentioned ever in depth on this show but as you can imagine that's a lot of work after nearly 160 episodes so bear with me but do do check out the website in its current form see what you think especially the picture of my co-producer. <laughs> the website is Talkingscaredpod.com and I'll be adding a bookshop org link too very soon to help you help independent bookstores. Now, I do want to highlight some of the books that Sadie and I talked about this week. First of all, someone who hasn't been on the show but who is an absolute shining black hole in the horror fiction night sky. That's Adam Neville. If you haven't read Adam's work, you are really missing out on one of the most impactful voices in modern horror. I would start with Apartment 16, which haunts me because of the way it depicts how madness slips into the supernatural, or perhaps vice versa. And, and Last Days is the found footage nightmare that you need in your life. It's genuinely frightening. I love Adam's work. And Adam, if you hear this, I'll be in touch. Please come on the show. The Meg Ellison book that we mentioned, but didn't name, I realise, is called Number One Fan. And, And like I said, I've yet to read Meg's work. Have you? What do you think? Is it my kind of thing? Would she be a good fit for the podcast? I want to know. And has anyone read Along the Path of Torment by Chandler Morrison? That's the book that Sadie said was the vilest thing she's ever read and enjoyed. So I'm tempted, but also wary. <laughs> Have you read it, stroke, endured it? And either way, what's the single most horrible thing that you've ever read and also enjoyed? It's easy to talk about the books that we put down in disgust, but what about the nasty ones that delight us? You can email me about all of this stuff at TalkingScaredPod at gmail.com or find me on all the social media places at TalkScaredPod. Subscribe, reshare, review if you can. I'm still plugging away at growing this thing in the wake of King's visit, but listener endorsement is more important than anything. Plus, it lets me really know if I'm on the right track or not. So yeah, review if you can. I'm back next week with a trip to La La Land. Josh Winning is the guest, and his novel Burn the Negative, it takes a cinema-savvy look at the phenomenon of cursed movies. Uh, We're basically just two Englishmen longing for Hollywood and the LA sun. (laughs) Till then, kick the gates open, support writers, and tell someone you love their work. Read good books, and remember, it's good to be scared.